In this episode of the Effortless Swimming Podcast, I'm chatting with Phil Rush, who has the fastest double and triple crossing of the English Channel. So he's a bit of an open water marathon swimming legend. And in this episode, we chat about a number of things, including how you can get better at adapting to the cold, the type of training you need to be doing if you are looking to do marathon swimming, what are the important factors when you are thinking of the training that you're doing? Is it the distance that you're doing? Is it the speed that you're doing? Is it how you're feeding? What are some of those aspects of the training? So if you are into open water swimming, cold water swimming, or looking to increase the distance that you're doing, then this is a podcast for you. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. Uh, my guest is someone who's been on twice before. Uh, so, Philip Rush, welcome back. Good to see you, Brenton. Yes, you too. Well, um, it's been oh, nearly coming up on two years since we last caught up at, um, at Thailand. You're someone who's come along to our Hell Week camps over there as a coach. And uh, obviously, we didn't run those last year. They're not happening this year. We're hoping for next year, um, but we'll just see, see what happens. But uh, I wanted to get you on the podcast to talk a bit about what you've been doing with uh, the cold water swimming stuff in New Zealand, because uh, as an, an ex-marathon uh, swimmer, you've um, got a lot of experience in the area, but now you're, the primary thing that you're doing is helping people uh, do some of the, the marathon swims over in New Zealand. So um, when did all of that originate and, and what's it like at the moment when you haven't got people flying in from overseas to do the Cook Strait and Lake Taupo and all those sorts of things? Um, yeah. G'day, everybody. Um, it has been difficult. Um, obviously, COVID come in on, in March uh, the year before, and we had the best weather. We don't get good weather here in Wellington. We had the best weather we have ever had um, for that year that everyone was locked down and wasn't allowed out. And, and probably I missed out on 10 successful Cook Strait swims. And that's the month that we have everybody coming in from overseas. And literally, it just went, it just stopped. The phone started ringing, we're not coming, we're not coming. So from there, we had to look at what we were going to do. Um, um, you know, I've, I've obviously got the fire service as my background business, but, you know, getting people across and, and coaching people. Um, so we had to look at what else we could do. And obviously, New Zealanders um, have always played second fiddle to the international swimmers. And I'm not saying that's the right thing, but it gave them a lot of opportunity to get some swimming done, to get some training done and have an opportunity to either get in Lake Taupo or Cook Strait. And um, of course it would be this year that we've just been, we've had the worst weather we've had in years. Um, normally we'd be swimming in December, January, February, March, April, May. Um, our first swim started on the 20th of March this year due to <laughs> incredibly yes. bad weather in Wellington. Um, very much like Melbourne's weather, cold, windy, and wet. Um, but and and but we have got everybody away this year. Um, so New Zealanders, we've got seven New Zealanders across Cook Strait, and um, we've got eight New Zealanders across Lake Taupo, um, ranging from all different levels of skills, um, and they've all been successful apart from one. Um, which we, and I've always been a wee bit anti-double swims. And what I mean by double swims, you and your mate come along and hop in and away you go and you swim together. And 
the rules we have, you swim together, you finish together, you start together. Um, this one got slower and slower and they were both really good swimmers. They've swum with me. I would have never suspected there was going to be a problem. One suffered from hypothermia faster than the other and then we had problems. So we had to pull one of them out and the other one luckily succeeded. Um, but um, it just shows that you have to give your full attention to that person, no matter how well trained they are, no matter how much time they've done in cold water, everybody's body reacts differently in the cold. And it might have meant we just had to, um, with the one we had to pull out, maybe we had to feed them more warm drinks and things like that just to keep her going. Both very good swimmers, both very fit, um, very healthy and had done a lot of work together. But the cold just varies things where, you know, you and I would probably be different. I might be able to stay in there longer because I'm used to the cold, my body's different and, um, and, and your stroke rate might slow down a little bit and then it's just a downhill stretch from there. I'll put my toe in and won't even get in. So that's uh, the difference between you and I, I think, Phil, with cold water. But um, <laughs> with, um, with dealing with the cold, it's obviously a huge factor when doing these marathon swims because you're in there for a long time. The water is, is quite cool. What are, what are some of those strategies, strategies that you're, you're using along the way when you, when you find someone is getting quite cold? Right. What, what um, we did a four-year study with Otago Medical School um, and some of the things that came out were quite simple. If you've got 15% or less body fat, um, you need to take up darts and eating pies. <laughs> um, because, you know, we, the, we shouldn't be putting you in there. It's not going to happen. The swim is not going to happen. The, the water is too cold. And, you know, we're talking 15 to 17 degrees. Uh, the water is too cold. Some of the positive things that came out of, from it, um, we give them warm drinks all the time. So you have warm, you've got warmth in your stomach all the time. Warm food, things like that. Um, warm, whatever drinks you take, whatever electrolyte replacement, carbohydrate drinks are all warm. So that works from the inside out. Um, the second major thing was stroke rate. So you keep your stroke rate, stroke count up. As soon as that drops back and you start getting cold, you can never survive. It just keeps going. And it may, cold may be, you're feeling warm in the water and just a cool breeze on your back. Um, some of the things we do, we make sure there's grease, a good coating of grease over the shoulders and the kidneys to keep those warm. But once again, once the cold gets in, it just eats away, eats the way, eats away. Now, in their training prior, I always talk speed over distance, and that's something we've always discussed. Um, it's about if we can swim an extra 100 metres an hour, 10 hours is another kilometre closer. So there's a kilometre out the way that we need to. If the feeds are quick, just recently, I took a young lady across. Um, it was two weeks ago. So the water temperature dropped. It was sort of 14, 15 degrees. We made it, and she was an ex-swimmer that was on my um, open water high performance team. So she could swim. Four Ks an hour, bang. Held four Ks an hour. Feeds, 
were 10 seconds, no more than 15. So we, was, we weren't wallowing around in the cold, getting cold. We were swimming, we were generating. She didn't swim 100 meters more than 4Ks an hour. She didn't swim 100 meters less. She got across Cook Strait in horrific conditions in just under seven hours. So that's the difference from being able to hold pace and hold stroke and keep yourself warm at the same time. Once we start getting down, if we're halfway across Cook Strait, we'll have the conversation. Brenton, I'm sorry, mate, we've got here, you great, bang, we've still got eight hours to go. It's not gonna happen. Let's call it a day before we get too, too bad. If we are a couple of Ks away, I will push you until you can't talk anymore and you're not making any decisions. But if we can get there, we will. I am trying to ride the ambulance so we can make sure when you come out, you're, you know, we, we look after you and it takes, it takes a little while to bring you back to normal. But it, um, if we've got a chance of getting there, we will, we will go there. Um, what I've said to everybody and anybody that's listening who's looking at doing these swims, we need, it's not just a matter of wallowing around, having a feed every half hour, enjoying the ambiances out there. You need to swim at pace. Even if your pace is only two and a half Ks an hour, three Ks an hour, four Ks an hour, five Ks an hour. As soon as you go off pace and start getting slower, you will get cold and it will end one way. And I, we had, so we had uh, Rebecca Hinesworth on, we had John Hancock on talking about their swims. And one of the things that I said to them was about um, that for, for you as, a, as someone who's taking them across, like your, your main thing is the safety and the survival of the, the swimmer um, and doing what you can to get them a, across there. And you've got a, a no, um, no filter. Um, there's no BS with you, which I, um, which I really enjoy. And I really have enjoyed that on our camps as well over in, in Thailand um, with that. And I think that like that approach is what is needed in the situations that you will find yourself in with the swimmers taking them a, across is that how do you how do you go with that like you've got to make some tough calls people have put a lot of time a lot of money into these sorts of things um and it's and there's a lot riding on it for them and you know you have to get down to it sometimes and say look that's it you, we've got to call it here how's that how's that go for you and oh it's, you it's, it? it's very uncomfortable at times um rebecca's swim was very uncomfortable we had to make some decisions i like to try and engineer that the swimmer makes the decision, but they have the information given to them that really there's only one decision to make. Um, it's, some of them, it's cruel. I, I, um, I, and we're actually going to um, an award ceremony on Saturday night where this lady's going to speak about, we took a, a lady at double crossing of Lake Taupo, trying to have a go at um, completing it. Um, we got within two kilometers of the finish. So we'd been swimming 28, 30 hours. And she just started smiling at me. Prior to that, halfway back on the second lap, I said to her, I said, just deep breathe. And I don't know why, you know, sometimes you see something, Brent, and you think, just do that. And you don't know why you've said it, but it's right. And I said to her, I said, just 
Just breathe. Just breathe properly. Your shallow breathing. Stop it. Anyway, 2Ks from the end at the pace she was swimming, we had half an hour, 45 minutes to go. Just. Um, and then I, um, um, so, you know, we got, we got, we got within two kilometers to the end and she's bouncing up and smiling at me. You know, we've done 30 hours. Was she tired? You know, all these medical things are going through and um, I stopped and she's just laughing at me, laughing and smiling and just bouncing up and down in the water. This is a good swimmer. And so I sort of look at her and think, you know, what's wrong? What's wrong? Maybe it's just lack of sleep, lack of sleep, et cetera. Bang, stopped, you know, gave her a little bit of a slap on felt, which, whether it was hypothermia or it wasn't a hypothermia, and she was still just laughing. I said, look, just swim on your back. Kick, do, do. We've got two Ks to go. The river's running down. You will have done it. Um, and she just laughed. She kept laughing. And so I gave her a caffeine tablet. I thought, is she tired? Is she, you know, no, that didn't work. I said, just kick, kick. And she was just laughing like she was drunk in the middle of the water. Anyway, we got to the point where she went up and down, up and down, and then went down, leaned over, pulled her out, got her on the big boat, sat her there five minutes later. She's talking as if nothing's gone wrong. This is after about 30, 31 hours by the time she was on the boat. And, you know, I was in tears having to make that decision. The land was there. I could see the finish. There was people sitting on the beach. Pulled her out, and what she had, she'd been shallow breathing. She had hypoxia, which is just, and <laughs> just was fixed like that. Honestly, it's the most heartbreaking. I can still see her face. It's the most heartbreaking thing that I could ever see. And she was there. The swim was over. I'd said halfway back about, and I don't know why I said it, but she never followed on with the shallow breathing. Bang, she was just bloody off her chops on um, no oxygen. Wow. So she's speaking on at this event you mentioned. She's speaking in the event in the, in, in the weekend, and she hasn't done a lot of swimming since. And um, so it'll be really interesting to see her side of it now. But those yeah. decisions are what I get paid for. And sometimes they're very harsh. Um, in the early days, I used to push, push, push. No matter how good a swimmer you were, I would take you to... And I know that people will give me 110%. And that's what I'm after. If you don't get there, you've still given it 110%. You know, we're pretty successful. It's not often. It's severe hypothermia that will, um, that will cause me to pull you out of the water um, but or just exhaustion. Now, exhaustion brings on hypothermia, et cetera, et cetera. So, so but it's... It's still, I have sleepless nights. I mean, we've, um, there's certain swimmers that, that, you know, are scared of the dark. And I've had a one young lady and I can still hear her crying in the dark as we're swimming. She's whimpering away. And, and she literally leapt onto the rock at the end and leapt into the, into the IRB and just grabbed me. And like, I was <laughs> and, um, but just from being scared and you, you've just got to try and fill them full of confidence as best you can. And, you know, some people think I'm an absolute prick out there at times and, you know, but it's just a matter of getting the best out of them. And yeah, I don't have a filter. <laughs> well, um, speaking of, um, yeah, of, um, of perhaps some of those swimmers. So I watched the, uh, 
the Swimming for Vogue documentary, I think it was released about a week or two ago, um, of a young New Zealand girl, Caitlin O'Reilly, and um, the youngest to do the New Zealand Triple Crown, which is the Lake Taupo, Cook Strait, and the Favot Strait. Oh, yeah, Favot right? Strait. Yeah. Favot Strait. And um, it was fantastic. So it's available on Vimeo for anyone who's listening. Um, it's, uh, it covers that last swim of the Fovo Strait and um, shows some of you giving her support along the, uh, the way, some supportive words. Um, but uh, I thought, oh, geez, that's, that's the feel that I've missed for the last two years <laughs> at, uh, at camp. But uh, it, was, uh, it was fantastic. So um, she's 14 years old. Uh, no, she's now she's now 16 she started she was the youngest uh, female to swim cook straight um and then we got her into lake taupo and she just did a great job um well, the plan was for her to do the ocean seven um and what i and obviously due to covid we haven't been able to so fovo straight come up um and it, i think it was it shows in the documentary she was petrified of sharks mm. of what was in the water and and it didn't really you know we talked about it prior and once again this is all about you know that mind of and and letting your mind run away with you you know we talked about a prior you'll see on the video with, with any of the swims i'm within touching distance at any time to be able to pull you into the, the small rubber boat um and the last thing I remember with Caitlin, before she hopped in, she came over to me, growled me really tight and said, what happens if I see something? I said, you just stop and tell us. I said, we're all watching, we're all. The effect that that had on her for the day, um, there was some other issues with pilots and things that we got over, but we were, we were winning as such. We had a beautiful day. The water was 15 degrees, which it's normally 12 or 13, but that small thing of her eating away in her mind that she was going to see a great white shark, which, you know, they are inclined to eat a little bit if they do uh, have a frenzy, but we see nothing. But it was still that mind overtook and a teenage mind as such overtook what she was trying to do. She was a seven and a half hour swimmer, eight hour swimmer, it took her 10 and a half hours and some very um, harsh support, I would like to go as far as saying. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I, afterwards, I was never going to let her out. We were always going to get there because the conditions were right. Everything was right. It was just a matter of getting her in the frame of mind to finish what we'd spent a lot of time to do. Yeah, and it like it, it certainly shows, and uh, it's that it's that tough love. It's it's being um, being straight up about what the the situation is, um, and like for, for you, it was basically telling her like you've got to, You've got to pick it up. This is this is not going to work for you. What you're doing right now, you've got to change change it up. And um, and you you mentioned before the call that um, you had some harsh words, and then she managed to sort of turn it around a little bit and um, picked it up from there on. Oh, yeah, totally. And I think, um, and afterwards, obviously afterwards, you know, all is forgiven. You know, we're, we're, yeah, we're still exactly. good. I've never spoken to, I've never had to raise my voice to her for any of the swims that we've done. So it was really difficult sort of um, to, to give her the message. And she, because 
we were about, you know, the huge cost of getting down there for everybody. We'd had all some other issues to get into the water. I mean, and she was letting it go because it wasn't, she couldn't get her head around it. And she was swimming terribly, Brendan, terribly from what she could do. And uh, we had the conversation and I just explained why. And after, afterwards, we obviously had a little debrief and talk about it. She said, oh, I wish you'd said that to me sooner. <laughs> so, but, you know, once again, it's a fragile mind. It's a fragile. And that's the sort of things that, you know, I meet a lot of the people that come in and I follow a plan. And most, most of the time the plan works. But what works for you isn't going to work for Caitlin. And um, what works for somebody else necessarily doesn't work for you know for you so so it, it is hard trying to work through i mean you've mentioned one of the chaps john hancock um now there you have a very um active mind we will go as far as saying and and he um you know john we had to put some strategies before we even started because he was just gonna beat himself up mentally Physically, he could do the swim, but mentally, because there's just too much going on up there. And so we put some strategies in place and I'd ask him some questions. I would wait for the next half hour before I got the answer. So he had time to work it out. You know, he's a great man with the electric cars. So we asked how many times he had to charge his car driving to Taupo. How many kilometers did he get out of it? Things like that, that took his mind away from, oh, I've got to be swimming faster. I've got to be swimming and, and that activity slowing everything down because you have to slow the mind down. If you've done the training, it works. And I, I'm, I'm a firm believer, you do the work, then you train the mind and we can get good results. And we've had really good results this year and everybody's had um, um, good preparation because they've been had nothing else to do but swim um, and get themselves in good shape. And then it's just a matter of teaching them how to control their mind. And um, one, of the, one of the strategies he said that he would use to occupy the time was he would run a, he would, in his mind, he would go through a route from his, like his old house to school and like run these old, like, yeah, like a map basically, uh, mm -hmm. pretending like he's driving from one place to another and that would help him pass the, pass the time. And I'm thinking, all right, that's great for an active mind. If he's uh, going through all these roads and trying to remember where he was as a, living as a kid and going to school and all this sort of stuff. Um, was that something that you gave him or something that he had? Well, no, we, we worked on that with John because we well, two years out, he said to me, he said, I'd like to do, I said, John, but you're mine, you're mine. And I could see the issue. It was never going to be about the swimming. It was going to be about controlling this thing up here. And, you know, talking to him, he's so enthusiastic. He's so, and he's such a sponge as well to deal with. And like in the early days when I was swimming, I had, you know, real problems with it. Um, and what, I was a dustman in Dunedin. So I would literally, when I was doing the, the distance swimming, I would walk through it, lifting each bin, emptying it, checking it, so that then, but what happens is, is once you, you might do 10 minutes of it and then you'll just go off and you don't really remember too much of that next half hour. You stop and drink. The nighttime was always the very, very best to do that. And that's why we try and start Taupo in the dark so we can get 10Ks out the way and it's like it never happened. And it's pitch black. 
There's no lights, there's no nothing. It's pitch black, so we get that first 10Ks out in the dark and you've only got 30 left. So the mind then sort of wakens up and you know daylight comes and then we sort of just work through it. And a lot of it's just your mind saying, you know, I've had a guts full of this. You know, we've, we've, we've talked on the camps before, you know, about controlling that mind. And if you can control that mind um, and you're fit and have done the work, you can do anything you want to. And that is what is, um, has been so great dealing with the people this year. We've, we've taken them from very green um, open water swimmers. We've built them with different swims. We've got them fit. And then it's just a matter of controlling the mind. And if they're fit, they enjoy what they're going to do. Mm. And with, um, with those that are overseas that have planned to do uh, so the cook straight for many years and they've had to put it on hold or put it on ice for now. Uh, from what you can sense, how are they coping with, um, with those sorts of things? Uh, some of them are coping very well. Um, you know, if, if, if there's any of the Australians that are, that are listening to this that are waiting for an email, just phone me, um, uh, you know, but um, it's just a matter of, I think everybody's had something they've been able to do. You know, the people in England, there's been some English Channel swims. Um, in America, they've had different sorts of swims they've been able to do. It's just the international travel. Now, we're going to, um, you know, next year, hopefully the border will be open. I am not holding my breath. I think our bubble will stay as long as you behave yourself, Brendan, in Melbourne. I think our bubble <laughs> will... We're <We're> trying. Uh, <laughs> our bubbles will stay um, connected. And that's that's good for, I've got most of the New Zealanders out the way, if I can get the Australians out the way. And they're all saying, oh, I was booked to go to the English Channel or I was booked to go to Catalina. But I, you know, we're not, we're not going to be able to get there this, this European winter. So I think everybody's just put, it, put their life on hold, really. Mm. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I imagine that all the Kiwis are pretty happy about being able to do these swims, and um, and even some that weren't necessarily planning it, like John, for example. It's just looked at it and thought, all right, um, I'm ready to go for Taupo, um, and trained with it with with a, with a couple of months. It's um, so there's certainly been some some positives for the the local crew down your yeah, way. It's very interesting, you know, on training methods and things now. And you know what what happens is we're an instant sort of world, aren't we? People want to. I've made a decision. I've got a goal. You know, where we maybe a few years ago it would be a three or four year goal. Well, no, I'm going to go and swim Lake Taupo. And John came to me and I said, well, he'd been doing a lot of cycling, and and, and um, it's a very interesting philosophy. He was exhausted. He'd done a cycle tour and done a lot of cycle bugger all swimming. Um, I said to him, I said, right, well, here's the plan. Let's try this and see if it works. He doesn't have a lot of time. He's a businessman, et cetera, et cetera. So I said, go away, rest over Christmas, do a little bit of swimming, don't, do, don't go crazy, but rest the body, rest the mind. He came back from there. We did three 50K weeks, which were a real struggle for him. Um, but we did them. We built up to it and then did the three 50K weeks and then went into Lake Taupo. It was successful. The moral of that story is if you are fit and being able to do those three intense weeks, one after the other, then we may get away with it. 
I'm not a firm believer of it. I think we still need a three-month plan, um, but it worked for somebody who had huge fitness. Three weeks onto it, I wouldn't advise it for everybody, but it yeah. does work if you're fit. Yeah, and look, he's he swum for a very long time, and um, yeah, and good swimmer at, at that as well. So that you know, got that in his in his favour too. Um, but absolutely, you'd want um, you'd want at least a couple of months lead into a forty k swim or something like that. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm a firm believer. A minimum of twelve months, uh, twelve sorry, twelve weeks, but sixteen is good just in case you have the off the off week and you can build into some good miles. Mm. And um, the last question I just want to ask you here is, um, in terms of um, like cold water adaptation, what are some of those things that you suggest to the swimmers that are going to come and swim the cook straight? How do you get them used to the cold? Uh, well, we're obviously all coming up to winter. I mean, I think Melbourne temperatures, what you get down to about 12 or 10, um, it gets mm. pretty rough, uh, pretty, pretty cold there. I'm very much for bloody like burning your bra, burn your wetsuit, and you just don't get back into it. I'm <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <laughs> but um, you get rid of that wetsuit and you just slowly build up. You get in, your body will change. Your body type will change. You know, you wear, uh, you know, you don't put the puffer jacket on. You just wear the sweatshirt and T-shirt underneath. You don't put the coat on when you go out when it's cold. You get your body used to feeling cold and then it doesn't feel cold. Cool showers, no hot showers. In three or four times of the week, and even if it's just starting off at 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes in the cold, out, warm yourself up straight after and just build on that. Your body type will change and it will get used to it. It's a bit like the, the heat. You know, a lot of, a lot of people can't cope with the heat. We, um, I go to, been going to St. Lucia over there and it's 33 degrees. So instead of putting warm into the body to keep it warm, we're putting ice in the drinks ice into their crushed ice into their stomach, you know, swallowing crushed ice so that they've got the coolness cooling them down because they're cooking. Basically, it's like being in a pot of hot water. Um, and it's very hard to adapt. It's the same, uh, you know, it works both, both ways. So, um, but the cold, you just have to keep building on it a couple of years, a lot of the time, till you can really, um, you can really get used to it. And then, it doesn't necessarily, I had a swimmer this year, we went in November and he'd been swimming for four years all year round. No wetsuit in Wellington, put his goal. We had a cool breeze on his back. We got eight hours of good swimming. The last two hours were a struggle and we didn't have 15 minutes more. Hmm. And we got there. Um, but it's very touch and go because it may well just be that air temperature that does it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, one of the bad things that I've realized with, with what we're doing in terms of clinics is as of last year, there's been a huge, huge amount of people start doing the cold water swimming in the bay because that was their only option here in Melbourne. And so um, we had a 5K radius from your house that you could go. And so um, we've had so many bay swimmers come to our, our clinics now uh, because they just took it up as of last year. And so it's really grown in popularity. And uh, I imagine we're not the only city uh or the only place in the world where that's ha happened it's um it really seems like it's taken off a lot have you encountered that over oh, there we yeah yeah we are and and now 
you know, there's a lot more cold water camps being run, um, mm. things like that. So people are learning how to cope with it. Um, and they're wanting to swim in the ocean rather than the pool. Um, I, I still have to push that, that clock on the end of the swimming pool is the best clock you can swim against because it doesn't lie. It's got no tide. It's got no current there to push you off or tell you that you're doing better than you are. It is exact meterage against exact time. Now, that is what we need. Um, in open, well, that's what you need in open water swimming because it's all about, it's not about going out there for a long time because if you've got tides and weather, like we have here in Wellington for Cook Strait, we eliminate, try to eliminate risk. So the faster you swim, average fast pace, we're not trying to make you go crazy for the first couple of hours, but if we're just swimming 100 or 200 meters an hour faster, then per hour, then at the end of the day on 10 hours is two kilometers. Two kilometers could be the making or breaking of that swim. So it's about holding good average pace. Combination of in the sea, in the pool is the best form of training. Yeah, I had that question today. We had a, a Q&A with our, our members and uh, that question came up. What's the, what's the best way to train for an open water swim? So in the pool for the most part, you know, you talk to any of the um, elite triathletes, elite uh, open water swimmers, majority of those swimming is happening in the pool because you can, you know exactly what time you're doing and you can make sure that you are hitting that, that pace. So that's, um, that's a good explanation of exactly Most why. of it is confidence in the sea. Most of it is just getting you yeah. confidence in the sea. And um, once you've got that, the work goes in the pool. Mm. Yeah, absolutely agree. Well, um, Phil, thanks very much for being on the podcast again. It's um, great having you on. And uh, hopefully next year we can tee something up in, in person and get back to some warm weather. Oh, good. Good on you, Brendan. Lovely to speak to you all again. And good luck with your swimming. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.